We're in the middle of a series called Fulfilled. I believe that every person breathing wants to live a life of fulfillment. I believe that we, as Christians, have the greatest opportunity to demonstrate to the world what true biblical happiness is all about. Not the happiness that's depending on the leading economic indicators in the market or the terrorism watch or Homeland Security's estimation of where we are at this point or how whatever president is doing at whatever point. Our life is not dependent upon any of those things. Our life, the source of our life is from a much higher source. Somebody say amen. So this morning we want to pick up where we've left off. Pastor Jeremy did a remarkable job first Sunday sharing with us what it means for every believer to be called. Uh, the general calling for every believer, we're called to fellowship with his son. We're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're called to holiness. We're called to righteousness. We're called to be part of the body, called to belong to Jesus. Uh, just, a, just a little smidgen of all the great scriptures especially in the New Testament, that speak to the calling that is upon us, how we've been called, why we've been called. The next week, last week, I shared with you some questions that I believe that every one of us can ask that will help us to determine uh, an, uh, some direction of our specific calling. We said that every one of us in the body of Christ shares a common sameness with the family of God yet at the same time hold a, an uncommon uniqueness in the plan of God. Our one thing was that idea that in a lot of ways we're the same, but in several significant ways we're very different. There's a uniqueness. We're all part of the body, which receives its life and sustenance. It's animated from the head. The head is Jesus. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ, hands and arms and legs and organs and eyes and ears and all these different kinds of things, and not one part can say to the other, you're not needed. We all have a function, and certainly uh, the body cannot function apart from a head, and so we don't want to be a headless corpse. We want to be attached in the same kind of idea that Jesus taught in John 15, the branch that abides in the vine. So we want to be a, a body that is attached to the head, that is Christ, and receive the life, the life source, the direction. Everything that happens in your body is sent from the brain, from the head, as a signal in terms of how the heart beats, how the stomach digests, the circulatory system, nervous system, all these different things working and function together. It's a beautiful picture the Apostle Paul shared with us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, but yet we are uniquely members in particular. All of us together comprise something that is more powerful than we would be if we were by ourselves. What if it were all an eye? What if it were all an ear? Then where would the smelling be? You know, there's some things we can do without. We can actually live without sight, but you can't live without a heart. You can live without hearing, but you can't live without a stomach. And so sometimes the things that we think are more important are actually not as important as the parts that are covered up. So everybody has a function. Some are a joint, some are an organ, some uh, something that sees prophetically, something that hears. And so we thank God for all of the parts of the body of Christ of which you are. Somebody say amen. So this morning we're going to pick up from that point and move into number three in this series of Fulfilled. Our title of the message this morning is called Following Jesus in the School of the Spirit. Say that with me. Following Jesus in the School of the Spirit. And I wanted to, I started out with Empowered by the Spirit and then I thought, no, I need to connect to this idea that Jesus gave us in Matthew 11 was my message text last Sunday Verses 28 through 30, very simply, you've heard it over and over your whole life if you've grown up in church, and even if you haven't, you've had a glimpse of this once in a while. It says, all of you that are worn out, just heavy laden with all kinds of burdens, he says, come unto me, and I'll give you rest. Everybody say, give. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Everybody say, find. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is what? So he's basically talking about learning to follow with Jesus. The Bible Belt kind of fundamentalist religious idea is basically come to Christ, confess Him as Savior of your life, get your 
fire insurance, get out of hell, get your, get your free get-out-of-jail card, don't pass go, don't collect $200, go to heaven. Get your go-to-heaven card, get out of jail free. And um, we've, we've sort of gotten the idea that, hey, that's just sort of the end of our purpose, and we kind of tie a knot in the end of the rope and hang on till Jesus comes. And I just want to blow that idea out of the water because if God's total purpose was just to get you to heaven, uh, then as soon as you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, He could have taken you right then. You could have batted your eyes and fell asleep, dropped dead, been buried, and uh, you know. But you didn't. You didn't do that. You're still alive. Look at your neighbor and say, "Are you still here?" So you, you've got a reason for being. The French call it the raison d'être. You've, you've got a reason to be. You have a reason for live. There is purpose. We talked about purpose last week. Miles Monroe told us that if purpose is not understood, abuse is inevitable. You, you consult the inventor or the creator of anything to find out what the purpose of the invention is or the device. And so this morning as we move beyond what we've built of general calling and special calling, specific calling, last week, we want to talk about following Jesus in the school of the Spirit because the idea is to receive... Notice in the verse I quoted, there is a rest that is given and there's a rest that's found. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm meek and lowly in heart and learn from me. He says, for you will find rest for your soul. So there's a rest that is given and there's a rest that is found. I believe the rest that is given is the gift of eternal life when he washes us of our sins and we know that the penalty of our sin has been paid in Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice. I believe the rest that is found for my soul is when I begin to walk in a life of fulfillment of daily following Jesus, following with Him, having a relationship with Him. That's the purpose. Jesus died for that, not merely to get you to heaven. That's a byproduct. That's, that's obvious. That's, 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 that's in the bag. You got your ticket, you're on the train to heaven. But you, you're still alive. You've got a purpose here. You, you need to learn how to walk with Jesus, how to follow Jesus, how to listen how He talks to people, how He treats people. Uh, your, your little bracelet that we wore 15, 20 years ago, WWJD, we shouldn't ask the question, what would Jesus do? We ought to open our Bibles and ask the question, what did Jesus do? Uh, and we could alleviate a lot of confusion. Somebody say amen. So this morning... Um, our series text is found in Colossians chapter 4, closing chapter of the letter to the Christians of the church of Colossae. The Apostle Paul is writing, he's giving instruction to a number of the different people in the congregation, some adjustment, some encouragement, some correction, um, faith, building them up, cheering them on. And so he says specifically to a man by the name of Archippus, he says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Fulfilled this message, this series is about being filled full of the purpose of God in your life. Knowing your general calling, knowing what it means to walk with Jesus, knowing what it means to have daily fellowship with Jesus and He who provides the bread daily for us, and knowing what it means then today as we follow Him into the school of the Spirit in order to be able to learn. So let's see today from Luke chapter 4. Um, and I want you to see how we're going, where we're going to follow Jesus. Luke chapter 4, I have two verses, verse 1 and verse 14. And in these two verses, we'll have a total of three phrases that are all about the Spirit that I want you to see. These comprise or make up my three points of my message this morning. So let's read these two verses together. Here we go. And Jesus what? Say it. Full of the Holy Spirit, we keep reading, returned from the Jordan and was what? Led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So there are the first two points right there. There's one thing to be filled with the Spirit. It's another thing to learn to be led and prompted by the Spirit. And then finally, verse 14 tells us what happened to Jesus on the other side of this experience. Read with me. And Jesus returned in the what? In the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about Him went out through all the surrounding country. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. Thank you for this wonderful praise team, for the amazing worship that they've led today. Lord, it's all about you, Jesus. We want to be overcome by your presence. Lord, we want to agree with the apostle who said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there's freedom. 
God, thank you that you set us free, not just to be free willy-nilly, but Lord, to be free with purpose, to enjoy abundance, to enjoy the freedom that is in Christ for the purpose of seeing others set free. We ask you, Lord, to help us move by the power of the Holy Spirit through my thoughts and through my words. I submit them to you. Lord, I know that apart from you, I'm nothing. But God, I'm grateful that in you and through you, I can do all things that you've called me to do. I ask you, Lord, to be the ears and the eyes, the understanding, the perception, and the hearts and the minds of each of these people this morning, that your word has influence, that your word is life-giving, that your word transforms, that your word adjusts and corrects and builds up and edifies and strengthens. We'll be careful to give you praise in this place. It is in the wonderful name of Jesus, whose name is Victory. We declare it together in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, another translation says, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, and Jesus, verse 14, returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. My one thing that I want to deliver to you and sing through this message repeatedly is this concept. Read it out loud with me, please. Fulfilling your destiny and ministry will stretch you to see beyond your own limitations and operate beyond your own resources. Read it again like you mean it. Fulfilling your destiny and ministry will stretch you to see beyond your own limitations and operate beyond your own resources. You're at about 70%. Come on, one more time. Like you really mean it. Fulfilling your destiny and ministry will stretch you to see beyond your own limitations and operate beyond your own resources. That's an A plus right there. Thank you. Praise God. All right. Um, why, why do you do that, Pastor? Why do you go through the motions? Well, because I do everything I can to help you get this. That's that first song we sang this morning. What did, what did uh, Aaron so beautifully? She said, you know, we've sung this thing. She, she didn't use a, a number, but literally dozens and dozens of times, and it just seemed to hit today. It's amazing. I, I think sometimes it takes repetition. Uh, the apostle said, for me to say the same thing to you, it's not grievous, and for you it's safe. And Peter said in his epistle, he said, I stir up your pure mind by way of re remembrance. I want to remind you of something. And sometimes until we've heard things several times, it doesn't really even register yet. And so where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. <clears throat> Three points this morning. Number one, filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to get the context from Ephesians chapter 5. Look at this scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the first point when Jesus is heading into the wilderness. Now, now think with me before we read this. The first Adam blew it. He was tempted in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the forbidden fruit, how it looked, how it would taste, how it would satisfy, how it was given to make him wise because it was the fruit of the knowledge of the, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Nothing magical. It wasn't an apple. The issue wasn't biting a magical poisoned apple. The issue was disobedience. The, the issue was high treason. It was rebellion against the commandment of God. And they chose to do it anyway. And we were all plunged into sin. We were all born in that same original sin. Broken, bruised, image of God stamped on us, but yet marred by the sin of our forebear, our forefather Adam. Adam was in a perfect place in a garden and he blew it. Jesus went into a wilderness totally hungry, fasted 40 days and withstood the temptation of the evil one. When you read what is in Luke 4, it is also in Matthew 4 and in Mark chapter 1. The interesting thing about Mark is that it doesn't say that he was led by the Spirit. The Bible says in Mark that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. How many of you know that the Spirit of God will lead us if we learn to yield? But if, if you're really His and you won't listen, sometimes He got to drive you there. <laughs> I, I remember saying to Dawn one time, I said, you drive me crazy. She said, well, yeah, that ain't a very long road, though. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord, that I can tell stuff about her and not cry. I'm so, I mean, I've been remembering funny things lately and just so, so grateful for your prayers. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. 
Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to stop and debate, you know, pro or, or anti-alcohol or anything like that. It doesn't say don't drink. It's just, just don't be drunk, okay? Uh, you read it with the rest of Scripture. Paul talks about taking a little wine for your stomach's sake. And certainly the culture was filled with the, the blessing of the fruit of the vine. And, and I'm not saying pro or con. Legalists want people to tell them what they should and shouldn't do. And we're not legalists around here. We believe that you can look to the Word and let the Spirit of God prompt you and lead you. And let me just say this. Sometimes the Lord will, sometimes the Lord will tell you not to do something that's not even a sin. The, the problem is, is when I start to try to force that on everybody else, what the Lord's told me not to do. Let me just give you one of mine. Somebody says, what, are you, what can you possibly be talking about? The Lord would tell you not to do something that's not a sin. Let me tell you what the Lord told me not to do that I've, I've not done since I was a teenager. And that's go to horror movies. Now, now, some of you if, you, if you love horror movies, then praise God, bless you. I don't think you're necessarily sinning because you go to a horror movie. But it's a sin for me. You want me to tell you why? Because when I watch one, I don't sleep when I go home that night. <laughs> the crepe myrtle that's growing a little too close to the eve of the house that scratches. I've got all the lights on and I'm up looking out. I'm getting the dogs out of the kennel and we're going out in the backyard. We're going to see what's out there. Because it affects me. I'm, I'm very much moved by visual, and, and, and so I have to watch that. I, don't, now I, have, I have a friend who's a great, great man of God, a preacher. Matter of fact, he's a bishop, uh, Bishop Jim, Jim Dutton from Augusta, Georgia, who loves just the campy horror movies. He loves them. And when I went to preach at his church several times you know, over the years, he would always, hey, hey, Michael, they got this new movie. I said, no, Jim, I'm not going. Bishop, I love you, dude, but I'm not going. You go right ahead. I'll, I'll see you after it's over. I just can't do it. Oh, why not? I said, I just don't do it. Because you know what? If, 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 if I can do that and experience oh, the stimulation and the excitement and the jump and you know, everything, you know, somebody jumps out and scares you and then just the endorphin rush that you get, if I could just do that and enjoy it and go home, it'd be fine. But I'm up tonight. I'm, I'm looking around. I'm every little creak, every little sound, and it produces fear in me. Some of you just can't believe that. You just go, well, you're a big old dude. Well, you can take anything. You know, what, what's wrong with you? You know what? I just learned I can't do it. Are you following me? Now, if I get up in this pulpit and tell you that it's a sin that none of you ever better go, how many of you know that's legalism? I don't partake because I know I'm better off not doing it. So without preaching an, an article or preaching a message on alcohol, make, make your decision and then do whatever you do or whatever you don't do to the glory of God. But the sin is in don't be drunk with wine. Come on, somebody. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. But notice what he compares it to. There's something about wine that has the ability to just sort of help you see from a little lighter perspective and take the edge off and you get easy. And, you know, they refer to it uh, in society as the social lubricant. In other words, it just sort of makes all the conversation flow and makes it easier, you know, whether you drink or whatever. You go to the bars. Well, you know, when you go to bars and you see that people are imbibed, literally they will do what you see in these next scriptures that I'm about to read. Let me get the context of Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's about to give it now. This is the will of the Lord. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. I'm reading from the ESV now. That one up there is the NLT, New Living Translation. He says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so don't drink deep draughts of this that can alter your perception and make you do things you don't have control over, but do drink deep draughts of the capital S, Spirit, the Spirit of God. The little s, spirits, uh, various kinds of alcohol, he says when you get drunk with, that will ruin your life. But do imbibe on the Spirit of God. Imbibe on the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. He says, when you do that, I want you to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody of the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I just want to say this. If you can ever remember being in a social situation where some of the folks had a little bit too much to drink, and somebody turns on a favorite song everybody likes, people who sometimes don't even like each other will throw their arms around each other and they'll just start singing at the top of their lungs. 
Is that what drunks do? Now, I'm not glorifying a lifestyle that's not right. I'm just saying that's a natural picture of what our services ought to be like. We ought to be drunk on the Spirit of God and throwing our arms around people and singing songs that glorify God and having a good time. And it's nothing. It's amazing how when someone has a little bit too much to drink, they will tell you stuff that they would have never opened their mouth and said when they weren't under the influence. I was a committed teetotaler in high school. I didn't drink. I refused to. It was a commitment that I had made during that time in my life. And I was called by a very, very prominent, if I mentioned the name, everybody in the room would know. And I had a, he had a son that I went to high school with. And his son called me because he, had, he was drunk. He was three sheets to the wind. He says, Mike, I need some help. I can't drive. I don't want to get in my car and either get killed or kill somebody. Will you come get me? I got up out of the bed. I put my clothes on. I drove to Memphis, and I picked up. We're just going to make up a name. We're just going to call him Jerry. That's not anywhere near his name. So I drove to Memphis, and I picked up Jerry. And all the way home, fake name Jerry told me how much he respected me and how much he respected my Christianity and how I'd been an example in school. And this is the guy that at school is, is bad-mouthing me, making fun of me. I'm serious. But he's drunk, and so the contents of his heart are just spilling out all over the place. Now, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is in the same way that the apostle says natural wine will mess you up, if you'll get drunk on the wine of the Spirit, it'll produce a heart that has songs that fill with joy. You'll start giving thanks for things that otherwise you forgot to be thankful for. You'll start opening your heart and sharing things. And guess what? You'll be willing to submit to one another. How many of you know that's going to take being full of the Holy Spirit? Are you guys, y'all in the, in the same room I'm in this morning? Look at David and say, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, how do I do that? Well, just be open. Just be open. This, this Yeti cup is not ready to be filled. Why? Why not? I got to take the top off. I got to. Take the lid off. I've got to remove the limitation. It's a blessing that keeps me from pouring it all over myself. But if I want to fill it, I'm going to have to remove the limitation. I'm going to have to be ready for something to be poured in. Now, i got Diet Dr. Pepper in there. I'm not going to pour that water in there, but just pretend I'm pouring, okay? So it's ready to be filled. So when you come to the house of the Lord, open your ears to hear the word that's being spoken. Open your hearts and open your arms and worship the Lord from a place of openness. The Bible very simply says, ask. Jesus in Luke 11 says, you know what, you guys, you have children, you love them. If anyone asks for a fish, you don't give him a serpent. If he asks for bread, you don't give him a stone. He says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, know this from the outset. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... The Holy Spirit is already residing inside of you. Now, how many of you know it's one thing for Him to be in there? It's something else for Him to fill your life. The more He fills you, the more He is influencing everything you do. The, everybody say, the residing one. So the Holy Spirit is residing. His residence is in your life. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 6, 19, 2 Corinthians 6, 16, all say that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's here because you brought Him in with you this morning. He lives and walks among us because your body is the temple. We are not our own. We are bought with the price, the blood of Jesus Christ says. Now, so what I want is for the residing one to become the presiding one. Let the resident become the president. Let the one who's living in me start to actually lead me. Come on, somebody say, lead me. And so that makes me or carries me into point number two, to be led by the Spirit of God. The residential needs to become presidential. He needs to take over. He needs to be the boss. He needs to call the shots. To be led by the Spirit of God. Number two, point number two, led by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says it this way. Now remember I got my three points right out of Luke 4. 
Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He experienced all the temptations, the trials. He came out on the other side of that experience in the power of the Spirit. So those are our three points. Remember what we're saying this morning. Fulfilling your destiny in ministry will stretch you to see beyond your own limitations and operate beyond your own resources. Now, to be led by the Spirit, Romans 8.14 says it this way, For as many as are led, everybody say led, as are led, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So this is the indicator. This is the qualifier. The, the Holy Spirit resides in you because you're a child of God. But how you demonstrate it is learning to be led by the Spirit. Let Him have the influence. How do I do that, Pastor? Well, you learn to yield to the still, small voice. You immerse yourself in the Word. Following Jesus means you're going to have to get committed to being in His Word. Somebody say amen. You will never have the fulfillment. You will never be fulfilled. You will never be filled full of purpose and joy and the glory of God in your life until you decide to become a person of the Word. Open the book and see what it says. Now, whether that's your Android device or your iPhone or whatever, and you're looking at version or Bible Gateway, or you have a leather-bound copy or a paperback copy or whatever, don't merely take my word or any preacher's word, but open the Bible for yourself and see what it says. Then we can say, what did Jesus do? And then pattern our lives after Him. We can learn to follow Him in the school of the Spirit. Now, to be led by the Spirit of God is the indicator of being not merely children, because really that NLT is better translated the Greek is the word weos, which means sons. And it's the idea of being a full-grown, mature son. A son who has grown up, had some experience, some education, some training, not just merely knowledge, but some wisdom, so that now dad can hand the keys of the business to the son, and it becomes dad and son incorporated. So the idea is that God is raising up a people who are not merely filled with his spirit, but who are learning to be led by His Holy Spirit. We are influenced, we make decisions based on, we are guided by, we speak according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, look at the context of the Luke passage this morning. I'm not going to take time to read a dozen verses, but I just want to remind you that there were three areas of temptation that Jesus encountered when the Spirit led Him into the wilderness. He was fasting for 40 days, he was in a place of intense prayer. He was dealing and encountering with spiritual warfare. The enemy was coming to him on a regularly consistent basis and attempting to try to derail him from his purpose because the enemy had sense enough to know that if Jesus fulfilled the plan of God, he was the Lamb of God who before the foundation of the world was slain to take away the sins of the world. And so Satan is coming to Jesus to tempt him. Now how many of you know it's not a sin to be tempted? Some of you religiously have this idea that just because you're tempted that it's sinful. Jesus was tempted, but the Bible says in all points without sin. Now, just because you're tempted doesn't mean that, it's, that you're sinning. It's what you do with the temptation that determines whether or not it becomes a sin. It's the steps you take after that. It's how long you look. It's not the first initial thought of lust, but it's the second and the third and the fourth one. Lust being anything. It doesn't have to merely be sexual. Any kind of lust, strong desire that draws you away from complete trust in God outside of the blessing of God's parameters. Every, the, every good thing on the planet is given to us as a good gift from the Father. It's just that there are parameters in which we're to enjoy them. Okay, So we're led by the Spirit of God and Jesus is tempted in three areas. He's tempted body, soul, and spirit. The very first thing that he experiences after fasting 40 days, the enemy comes to him and he says, if you're the son of God. And really, the newer translations, that phrase if really is since. Since you're the son of God. But the question if here is good too because really I want you to know that that's the same thing the enemy does in your life. Well, since you call yourself a Christian. Now can you hear it that way? Since you're a believer, let's just see what you got. Because that's kind of the spirit of the tone if you're really the Son of God, then make these stones to become bread. And Jesus immediately answered from the Word, and He says, it is written. Everybody say, it is written. In other words, you need to have a, 
a, a, a good beginning understanding and a growing, increasing understanding of God's Word because it is the, it is the standard by which we live our lives. The rule of faith and conduct, it's, it's, it answers, it's the plumb line, it shows us whether we're building the building square, uh, whether, whether this thing is, is solid, it's sound, am I building the foundation of my life on something that will withstand the test of time and the storms of life? And so I look to the Word, and Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. And so Jesus is quoting the Old Testament while He's living and marching out of the days of the New, the new Covenant. Okay, And so He's tested body. And we see these three temptations in body, soul, and spirit. And they link up to those three areas that John talks about in his first letter in chapter 2, the epistle to John. He says, all of these things of the world, he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three things that the enemy uses to steal, kill, and destroy. The MO, the job description, the modus operandi of Satan is he's a thief, he's a murderer, and he's a destroyer. Come on, somebody say amen. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly, the King James says, the NIV says, to the fullest. So we want to be fulfilled. We want to be, walk in fullness of joy, fullness of peace, fullness of the blessing of God, fullness of the favor of God. And so the enemy has no new tricks. For 2,000 years and even beyond that, for generations since time began, the enemy has been using the same three areas. When I was a young man in Bible school, uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the pride of life were the girls, the gold, and the glory. And uh, I think it was Dr. Adrian Rogers who talked about passion, possession, and position. I remember hearing him preach a message 35, 40 years ago. A good Baptist alliteration, three Ps, passion, possession, position. And so basically it's, it's these areas that we're tempted in that Jesus goes into a wilderness Adam is in a perfect place in a garden and he blows it. Jesus is hungry after fasting 40 days and he's tempted by the evil one and he passes the test in a waste-howling wilderness and he does it with the Word of God. He speaks the Word consistently. Come on, somebody say, speak the Word. So what it means then to be full of the Holy Spirit, it means to be full of the Word of God. Get the Word inside you. Hide it in your heart. Let, you, let your mind hear yourself. Let your ears hear yourself speaking the Word of God. Now, let's, let's, let's eliminate the Christianese and the churchy sounding stuff and the religiosity of it. You don't want to be, you know, railing people across the cubicle of the office quoting scriptures, you know, while you're trying to work. But you want to show some wisdom. Come on, somebody. This is obvious. Once in a while you get someone who's a little bit religiously weird and, and, and they just need to back up and kind of just take a breath, you know. And learn to just be real. Everybody say, be real people. Okay? And so in the middle of wanting to be real doesn't mean that we just kind of get in the mud and wallow with the pigs. But it means that we've got our feet on the ground and not just in some kind of nonsense. But we really are sharing something with the lives of other people that is influencing us and makes us who we are. So Jesus was tempted body, soul, and spirit. His next temptation, the enemy says to him, he says, all these kingdoms of the world and the glory of it, he said, I will give them to you if you will just fall down and worship me. And Jesus responds with the word and he says, worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt you serve, is the word that he quotes. And this is what I want you to see this morning. It's very interesting because the Father had already promised all this to Jesus, but Jesus knew there was a process that he was going to have to go through in order to arrive at a place of all of those being His. And that was the path of the cross. Death, burial, and resurrection. The weight of sin to become the sin bearer for the world. God was in Christ reconciling Himself to the world. And Jesus knew that there was a path that He would take, a path that would be painful, a path, the, the decisions that had vast consequences... And so the enemy is coming to Jesus basically saying, I can give you all of that, but you don't have to do everything the Father said you had to do. Now something I saw this time as I was preparing for this message was not merely the three areas of temptation, body, soul, and spirit, and lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, but I saw for the very first time that Jesus was actually challenged 
in his belief and his holding to the three primary elements of the whole new covenant. That is faith, hope, and love. Everybody say faith, hope, and love. It was faith in the first temptation was will God be faithful or will I be faithful to the purpose for which he's given me this power? Can I illegitimately use it to just be able to satisfy and instantly gratify a desire that I have? Yeah, I have the, the, the ability and the power to transform those stones into bread if I want it. And basically Jesus was being tempted by Satan to illegitimately use his power. Would he remain faithful by having his faith remain in his trust in the Father. The second one about the promise of the glory was basically dealing with Jesus' hope, his hope for the future. And this is where the enemy comes and attempts to attack you. Your faith, your faithfulness, and your hope for your future. And all the time in, uh, in, in inner cities, young men who have great purpose on their lives, born into this world, with, with a destiny from God like everybody else, are promised by pimps and drug dealers that if they'll just deliver one more load for them, that they'll have a whole treasure chest full of cash. What they don't realize is that there are ways sometimes that the enemy will circumvent the hard way around, working hard and, and staying with it and being consistent and persevering and enduring and being honest and being faithful. Oh, guess what? You don't have to do all that. Just circumvent all that cross and that hard path of, of earning it and working for it. Just, just make this delivery for me and, and there will be $20,000 in it for you. Well, he gets busted and he's in jail then for 20 years. You know, the Bible says the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. There are all kinds of humanistic get-rich-quick schemes that can deliver some instant gratification to you, but you don't realize that with it comes a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of sorrow. That right there was Machiavellian politics already at work. 15th century, Machiavelli wrote a book called The Prince, and basically the bottom line of the idea is that in politics, the end justifies the means. That is, who cares how you get it, just so long as you get it and arrive at your conclusion. How many of you know the, 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 the means matters? God is interested in whether or not you cut the deal under the table or whether you maintain your integrity. Oh, come on, Jesus, just bow down and worship me, and I'll give you the glory in all the kingdoms of the world. And he had to say, no, the Father's already promised me those, but I'm going to have to go the way of the cross and the grave and get up out of the grave and bring freedom to humanity. The enemy always tries to lure you by taking the shortcut. I'm helping somebody this morning. Come on, help me. Help me preach a little bit in here. That's your hope for the future. Oh, but you can have that hope right now. Jesus answers with a word and finally takes him up to the high pinnacle of the temple and he says, throw yourself down. And it was the love of God challenge. Does the Father love me enough that if I do this that he'll rescue me from it? Jesus basically quotes the word after the enemy tries to quote it and totally messes it up. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Everybody say the power of the Spirit. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Now, so he was tested body, soul, and spirit. Tested faith, hope, and love. What I want you to see is this. What Satan uses to break you down, God will take hold of and use it to build you up. That is, if you don't waste your test. If you don't gripe away your trial. I remember some tests in college that I uh, sweated bullets over because I hadn't done my homework. I didn't go to class. I, I, I certainly didn't have any notes that I could go back to the dorm room after class and read through. And so when test time came around, I sweated bullets and managed to eke out maybe a low C uh, because I at least did scan the chapter. But there are other classes that I really had loved, the history classes, I loved them, and I had great professors that were really into it and told stories, and it was not just about dates and dead guys, but it was the living stories of history, and I got so excited, and I read the books, and I outlined the chapters, and I was so just on top of it. When I took the test in those history classes, it was like leaving class with an endorphin high, because I knew that I had knocked it out of the park. Now, some of y'all looking at me like, you really are a study geek, aren't you? Yeah? 
Anybody else in the room know what I'm talking about? You, you prepared, you did what it was supposed to be, and when you showed up for the test, you didn't really worry about it because you knew that you knew your material. How many of you know when you go through a spiritual test, it's the same thing? Everybody, everybody look at your neighbor and say, this is a test. This is only a test of the emergency broadcasting system. How many of you know when you're going through a test, if you just learn day by day to, to ask God for your daily bread and listen to the Word and meditate on the Scripture and just, just walk with Jesus on a daily basis, enjoying the unforced rhythms of grace, Eugene Peterson says in the message, just enjoying God. Some of you are like, really? Can you enjoy God? Oh, absolutely. You learn to just pray and talk to Him and let Him lead you. I, I believe the Spirit of God is talking to us. I believe we're just not listening. I believe He is intimately interested in your life and the decisions you're making. I believe that He can inform you about the next step you should take and help you when you come to a fork in the road to know whether you should go to the left or the right. I, I remember back in school of ministry in North Carolina, we were taking several of our musicians from North Carolina to Springfield, Missouri for a large leadership conference and some of our musicians were going and I was the worship leader for the conference and we had a couple of vehicles and I got separated from them and I just we were we, we, we were just barely out of North Carolina, even just barely into the edge of Tennessee, and I just prayed. I said, Lord, lead me. We didn't have cell phones back then, folks. Remember, those didn't show up till about well, the bricks showed up in the late eighties. Remember those big old huge brick phones? I didn't have one of those. Uh, it was in the nineties when I when I first got my cell phone, and so this was like 84, 85, okay. And so I'm just driving along in the car by myself and I'm praying in the Holy Spirit and I just said, Lord, lead me. Let me get right back with this, with this team. And so I drove a few more miles up the road, past some exits, and all of a sudden I just had a real compel, compulsion. I was compelled. I just felt to take that exit. And I just last second pulled over, took the exit, and I pulled into the first gas station and there was the team sitting right there at that exit. Now that's one of hundreds of examples of the leading of the Holy Spirit that's happened in my life that, that I know that God can speak if we will stop to take time to listen. He will give you direction in the thing that you're trying to make a decision on whether you're going to invest in, the mate that you're going to choose, you know, how you're going to build the house that you have a dream to build, the business that you're hoping to put together. Those dreams that you have, God's put them in your heart in the first place. Do you think He would have given you the idea and said, no, it ain't ever going to happen? No, He, he, he wants to see blessing in your life. He's come that you might have life and have it what? Come on, somebody, do you believe what you just said this morning? Okay, and so I want you to learn how to be led and how to listen. And so Jesus comes through the other side of that thing, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't waste your test. Don't waste the trial. And even if you fall in the temptation, confess your sin and get up and dust yourself off and get back in the race. Don't spend time being under condemnation. Just get back in because God will lead you and prepare you for the next time you face that temptation. Come on, somebody. When you do face it in strength and are able to deal with it as you should, then guess what? You've got more strength for the next time. Dear brothers and sisters, James 1-2 says, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Look at your neighbor and say, don't blow off your test. Listen, don't waste your trial. Final point this morning, and I'm finished. The power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is what it's for. You will receive, read it with me, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Keep going. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I believe with all of my heart that the filling and the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit are for two primary purposes. Number one, boldness to speak and love to demonstrate. Boldness to speak and share the life-giving message of the gospel to others who need to see it demonstrated in a life of love. Somebody say amen. Now, I'm going to close with this last little section of scripture that's found in Acts chapter 4. And it's the story of Peter and John who go before the tribunal, the council of the religious leaders of Jerusalem because basically in Acts chapter 3, the man at the gate, beautiful, who was born crippled 
all of a sudden gets healed because Peter and John are walking along one day and basically say, hey, we don't have any money, but silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So they didn't have any money to throw into the beggar's cup, but they had power to share. Now, how does that work in your life? You have something that you diminish. You do not credit it with the power that it truly has. You minimize the work that the Spirit of God has done in your life. And it has a unique ability to influence others like nothing else that you can do. Far greater than your politics, far more powerful than your theology. Your denomination won't do it for you. Promotion or the, the pursuit of social justice won't get it done for you. But it's your testimony. It's what God has done in your life. When you can say, I once was, but now I'm. People can argue your politics. They can get defensive over your theology. They can defend their denomination as being greater than yours. We can argue identity politics and talk about the color of our skin and the privilege and supremacy and all of these different kinds of things that people have ideas about. God, help me, Jesus. It's just been a travesty this week to see the state of America and the nonsense and the hate that is still out there. And I'm going, God, how does this happen? I really thought we were beyond this mess. And I just want, to, I want you to hear this this morning. Your testimony has more power to do anything than a convincing philosophical argument can ever do. When you can say, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was addicted to drugs and lost my family and was a thief and stealing to support my habit. But Jesus came into my heart and took away the desire and delivered me and set me free. And whatever it is, Whatever it is, name your flavor, name, name the color, it doesn't matter. When you can say, I was broken and Jesus put me back together. I was in bondage and he set me free. When you have that testimony, nobody can argue with you when you say what God's done in your life. When you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and in boldness and in love. Those are the two factors. Because boldness without love is dangerous. And love without boldness is is a little power lacking in power. There's a right time to speak up and be bold, but there's a right way to do it in love when you say it and when you do it. The Holy Spirit is here to empower us to be bold disciples, to tell people about Jesus everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. This is what I want you to see as I finish. Peter and John go before the council because they're disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there's a resurrection of the dead. They rested them since it had already been evening. They put them in jail to morning, so they spent the night in jail. They called them in and questioned them. Verse 7, brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power and whose name have you done this? Listen to this, and I'm finished. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this. Crazy, impetuous, big, burly, salty mouth, half cussing half the time Peter. Don't even look at me in a religious tone like that. Come on, if you've ever been around some professional fishermen, you know that they're just not always just talking in, in, in little, little flowery terms. It can be pretty common. It can be vulgar. Now, how many of you know that, that coming to Jesus, sometimes it's a little period of time that you, know, you may clean up the words you say, but the attitudes are still there. Now, this same guy that denied Jesus, all of a sudden now is... Filled with the Spirit, he's led by the Spirit, he shares the power of the Holy Spirit in the moment when God led him to do it and now he's before the government of his day and in that moment it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, listen, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he, ha he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Now that's pretty, that's pretty nervy for Peter to look in the council and go, you crucified him, but you didn't have the last word. God raised him up out of the ground. Come on. 
He says, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Verse 13, and I'm finished. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness. Everybody say boldness. The boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. Everybody say ordinary. Come on, that's me and you. They were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. That's what I want my life this week to show. Listen, ministry is not about a few minutes up here on Sunday morning. I'm the coach. You guys are on the field. You're doing the real ministry work. Come on. A a coach is not the one who wins the Super Bowl. It is his responsibility to match the players and their best giftings and their skills to the best matched position on the offense or the defense and then train them to persevere and to endure. This, I am not the pinnacle of ministry. You are the team. You go out of here every week. This is the coach's meeting. This is the huddle. This is where we draw out the plays. This is where we say, this is how we're going to run this week. We're going to run this play and we're going to be filled with the Spirit. And we're going to learn to listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit and learn to be led. We're going to yield to that voice when we hear it. And then in the right time, when the time comes, God will grant us the power. He will take us ordinary men and He will put something extra. And it will make us extraordinary. Not in our own strength, but by His Holy Spirit. This morning, for any of us to realize that, in anything we do, in a job, in a career, in a new home, a new marriage, with hopes for a great future, a life, maybe, maybe all those positive, hopeful things don't characterize where you are. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe there was the bad news from a doctor this week. Maybe there's a secret struggle that nobody knows about and it's, you're about to be find it, found out because it's costing you money. A secret sin, a habit, a chemical habit, a, a, a liquid habit, a sexual habit, an online habit. Any kind of area of brokenness that the enemy has stolen and killed and destroyed from your life, there is no way you will experience the kind of fulfillment that I'm talking about until you first come to Jesus. Quit trying to do it in your own strength. Come unto me, all you who labor, you're worn slap out, and you're laden down with all these burdens and sins. And he says, I will give you rest. That's a promise to be given to you this morning. Lights are coming down, heads are bowing. 